0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. today. Karen, Michael Trout, and Lori Thomas conclude their two-part discussion on the Jonathan Letters, one family's use of support as they took in and fell in love with a troubled child. All of Michael Trout's videos and books are available at the TKC store at tkcchatik.org. Get a 20% discount on all Michael Trout materials when you type Trout 20 at checkout. That's T-R-O-U-T and the number 20. Part 2 will be released on March 24th.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and the Attachment Theory in Action podcast listening group. Um, I have here with me today Lori Thomas and Michael Trout, and these are familiar names to many of my listeners. Um, Michael has been on here uh, on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast extensively, and Lori has also been on here before. Um, Lori is a therapist and also um, a foster, adopt, biological parent, um, and has um, also shared on the podcast before, what we're going to be talking about today is the book, The Jonathan Letters.
0: Sought-after speaker and trainer Karen Doyle-Buckwalter and trauma-informed school specialist Josh Carlson are coming together for a one-day workshop you won't want to miss. June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia, Lessons from the Toughest Kids features practical, evidence-based strategies for working with challenging children and adolescents. You'll experience engaging lecture, discussions, and role-play with proven strategies from over 25 years of working with some of the nation's most complex children. Go beyond theory and book knowledge with Karen Doyle-Buckwalter and Josh Carlson. Carlson, June 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. Tickets are on sale now. Visit tkcchatik.org or find us on Facebook.
1: Hey, uh, back here with Michael Trout and Lori Thomas. And you know, one of the things that we were talking about towards the end of the first segment of this episode is how you felt support without judgment. So the first thing we were talking about that was so important was that you felt listened to. And I was like, yeah, 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 everybody, every therapist thinks they can do that. And even people who aren't therapists. And then um, you said support without judgment. And I'm like, oh, yeah, probably most Therapists and helpers think, well, of course I'm not judging these people. I'm I, I don't do that. I give support without judgment. So I still want to like dig even a little bit deeper into that because I, I I don't want listeners to think, yeah, 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 whatever, yeah, we all do that, because we don't, do we?
2: And I'd like to tag on to that another question for Lori. How did how did we manage to do this without eye contact? <sighs> I would assume a normal person would, would, if they're wondering, is the other guy actually listening to me, would lean on eye contact as a way to find out. Yes. You and I did not have that.
3: That's true. That is very true. And so because of the nature of the written word, there were times, I don't know if you remember one of them, where there was a misunderstanding. And I... um, I said something, and then I understood Michael's response to mean something that it didn't mean at all, and we had to, we had to address that, and um, that was really important to be open. That happened at a point where there was enough safety felt on our part that we could, that we could go there. If that had happened early on, I wonder if we would have had the same outcome of of proceeding in a healthy way. But there was already such a sense of safety that I could become a mama bear and, and attack, and Michael could, could you know respond to that in a kind and gentle way and bring it back to what was really being said.
2: Well, not just respond in a kind and gentle way, but could be impressed by that mama bear, could be interested in that, I'm trying to answer the question Karen hasn't quite asked yet. Why did why did I feel so drawn to this lady and eventually to this family out east? What did I see in you all that made me want to be in your living room? And this is one of them. When I would see Mama Bear come out, even if I didn't like what you said or did at the moment, I was really curious about uh, that power. And I'm really curious about what that power might do on behalf of a child under the right circumstances. It's one of the ways I learned to trust you without eye, eye contact.
3: Yeah.
1: So, you know, and I, I do also want to get back to um, when we, we just kind of kept rolling when you said earlier, Lori, that you had to look at your own history mm-hmm. and, and think about your own background. Um, And, you know, as we said, you had biological children, you had foster children, you had other adopted children. Um, What was it about this particular child and this relationship you were in with Michael and whatever else that was going on um, that you realized, I I need to look at some of my own stuff and my own history here? What made you aware of that?
3: Well, I think the thing that made me aware of it you know, we've all seen the saying, um, I opened my mouth and my mother came out. And there yes. were some parts of the of my early history that I swore I would never repeat in my own family, in, with my own children. There were parts that were lovely and parts that were not. And the parts that were not were gone and I was never going to repeat those. And I did not repeat those with child one, two, three, child four. You know, it kept, we kept going. And, and then suddenly I found myself triggered by things this child was doing. And suddenly my, my Irish temper rose to the, to the forefront again, where it had been laying dormant for, I thought a lot, I thought permanently. And this child was able to bring it back out. And I immediately said, that's, that's not okay. That's not the way I parent. And so that's when I had to start seeking my own help, getting therapy, looking at my attachment history, figuring out what was going on in my life. I didn't have the right words for it at the time, but, but looking at my own history, figuring out what was going on and how that was impacting my current functioning and how I could come to a place where I could understand that and change that.
1: I really love what you're saying there, Lori. I think it's such an important thing for um, uh, parents to understand, listeners to understand, um, and for us to understand even as clinicians in terms of our, our own histories. You know, one of the things that I've often said to parents about children with these kinds of difficulties and the severity of difficulties is this child will shine a light on every vulnerability you have. Like there's no hiding it. There's no, so, you know, so you're thinking, um, I've dealt with these things, you know, you're not really thinking they're dormant waiting to just spring back out, but you know, it's just really, I don't know, a lesson to us or whatever that under the, under certain circumstances, certain levels of stress, certain interpersonal experiences that we're having, like things that we really thought were taken care of can come back out.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. But in in further answer to your earlier question, Karen, about what drew me to this lady. Yes. You should know that those moments when that Irish temper would come up or when any other thing about uh, Lori's past would come up, I saw those as moments not of collapse and defeat, but as moments where the weep got separated from the chaff. Uh, In other words, I could imagine that Irish temper being seen by this vulnerable but devilish little boy as fun, but more importantly, as likely to signify a warrior, someone who would fight for him, even though at the moment she wanted to knock his block off. Same energy. And I I came to believe that uh, the warrior part was the more powerful part and would actually benefit him. I didn't sit back here in my office in Illinois worrying that she was going to hit him or even yell at him too long. I knew she'd yell at him. I hoped she would. (laughs) Uh, But I I knew that nothing horrible would happen because of this lion in her. It, It would be more the emergence of a warrior, and it was.
3: And Michael at that point helped us to really conceptualize that we were teaming with our son. And that was really, that was really a beautiful picture for us, that we could team with him. Um, and so when his behaviors triggered us, it was not us against him and his behaviors, it was us teaming with him to help him overcome his own history. And so as I was dealing with my own history and learning to um use use what I could for good we were able to help him start doing the same teaming becoming his team
1: Yes um I think that um this distinction that Michael pointed out about the power in you and um the warrior in you is really important. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot, and I don't have the antidote for, but when I see parents start to feel as though they're victims of their children, we are sunk. Yeah, I mean, absolutely sunk. And if I can help a parent get out of that stance, sometimes this comes from the parent's own history, sometimes it comes from the child's behavior, sometimes it comes from a combination. But I can tell you, once that becomes the identity of the parent, that I am now victimized by my child, this horrible, rad monster, you know, I mean, if I, I I, I wanna say if I can shift that, but if I can't help shift that somehow, we're dead in the water mm-hmm. and so that metaphor of a warrior is really important and how parents find that inner strength i was just in a texting group with a bunch of moms from the attachment and trauma network and uh i i asked them you know what innate I, i'm not talking about supports I mean, and, and these are like, these are like black belt therapeutic parents. We're talking, you know, um, like you, Lori, like you, other women like you who have been through this and who have done this. and. And I was asking about, you know, what are some of the innate qualities? I don't mean supports that you wish could have been set up for you. I I, I could make a laundry list of those. I've heard those over the years. Sometimes we can arrange them. Sometimes we can't. But, you know, what are some of the innate characteristics? And, I mean, this is one of them, The spirit that you're talking about of I can fight this. I can be strong. I can help this child do this rather than feeling victim by the child. Did you ever feel like a victim?
3: Tired, yes. A victim, no.
1: See, every parent that I have asked this who's been really successful with some of these really tough kids answers that no. They say no. Or hell no. Or or, (laughs) no, I wasn't going to let it come to that. Or no, that's just not in my personality. Or, you know, it's just so interesting to me i don't know if either of you have anything to add to that but the reason i speak of it with such passion is i feel like it's one of the pieces of kind of cracking the case of of who can handle these kids and help these kids and, and what is needed
3: well i think part of it is that there has to be a sense that defeat isn't an option but that this is not going to be quick and easy this is not a six therapy session Um, we're going to suddenly have a child who gets it and we're all going to live happily ever after it's a lifelong journey and with some of my children the journey has been easier than others and with some of them um, we've had to learn to adjust expectations that not all of my kids are going to go get degrees or start families. Some of them are going to survive and not be hurting people, and that's going to be a really good thing. Um, uh, But everybody, aren't we all individuals with different journeys anyway? Um, And so I think learning to adjust as we go with all of our kids is an important thing, but not accepting defeat.
1: Yeah, and that that came up. Another thing that came up was um, just knowing in my heart of hearts it's going to be worse wherever they go. Like, like if we if we become blown placement number five, you know, it's just not going to be good. But that that statement requires a level of confidence. Or the idea of I, I I can at least probably do this better than the next guy. but Because yeah, I, I hear that in you too, Lori.
3: Yeah. And having said that, does that mean that there are times when the placement isn't right? Of course. Yes. Of course that is the case. Yes. And so I don't want to say that every parent should say, oh, we're not going. No. I, when I say that's, defeat, very, that,
1: that's very good for you to, to, to temper that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so defeat is more a matter of, am I going to accept that this child can't get better? That I'm not going to accept. <laughs>
2: yeah. Go back to something you said earlier, Karen, about the the ability of certain children. They're rare, but uh, Lori's child is one of them, and I work with lots of others. The ability of those children to go into a home. And uncover every vulnerability there is in one or both parents is is really profound, and that that relates to the the thing you were just discussing about victimization. If Lori's child, the child we call Jonathan, had had he had the ability to walk into that house and know within a few days if somebody had hurt Lori's feelings when she was a little girl and she never recovered or somebody raped her or someone beat her and she never regained her authority over her own body, he would be able to find that out in a very short time and use it to evoke those feelings anew and gain power over Lori. He had that ability. So I just want to emphasize that for all of our listeners, what the child needs to see when he gives that a shot is, oh boy, I, I stuck a pin in that, and it's it's um, I'm not getting the reaction I wanted. I'm not getting a parent who collapses in the face of my enormous power, which by the way I desperately need. And developed in the face of all the awful things that were happening to me, while at the same time, I need someone to take it away from me.
3: Yes, ah, oh, is someone
2: that not else to be more powerful than I
1: am? That's yeah. so the crux of it, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And Lori was that person. That's the reaction Jonathan got from her. Yeah, well, I get it. You're you're giving it your best shot. Got any more? <laughs>
3: while I was praying that he did not <laughs> 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 that be it please let that be it <laughs> mm, yes
1: yeah <clears throat> well gosh uh what what else you know I I see we're we're winding down on our time here um there's you know, one of the things that I uh, mentioned before we uh, went live was when I looked at this, I was like, this is a lot of correspondence. It's it, there. There is a lot that went back and forth. It's um, uh, the, the font of the book is very small. There's a lot in it. Um, maybe I'm getting old and it seems small, partly because of that. But then you guys reminded me that there was a whole lot more that, I mean, this was sort of a, uh, you called this from the overall correspondence there was even more than this that went on.
3: It was more than one e- one uh, letter.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I guess we failed to fill in that part, didn't we? <laughs> After the one letter each way, we both got hooked. Yes. I would find myself, just as Lori would find herself reading my correspondence or writing to me in the middle of the night, so I would find myself writing to her in between patients or early in the morning before I started with my first patient. Uh, And that was never a chore. Mm -hmm. So that's, it was interesting to me to discover that about this relationship we were evidently building, having never met. It was interesting that for me to discover that it was not a chore.
1: Why? Why was it not? Well, first of all,
2: this lady was really interesting. (laughs) And as she told me about the rest of her family, it got more and more interesting. (laughs) She she described her husband in ways that made me absolutely certain he could not bear up under this. He was a tough ex-military guy, big and brawny, and I was sure he was gonna kill somebody, maybe Lori, maybe Jonathan, but he certainly wasn't gonna. And then I learned that there was a, a little bit of a history of Lori taking in kids like this without exactly mentioning it to him first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. And I got so it's curious right. about how this family works.
1: It's just so hard
3: to fathom that. <laughs> yes. Yes, and, and, um, and he's really just a big teddy bear in a military body. <laughs> and quite quite uh, able to withstand all of it.
1: He's able to be flexible?
3: He is able to be flexible. It's a darn good thing because he married me, and so it was a good thing. Yes.
2: I think we'd probably been writing to each other for a year or two at least before we ever met, and I, I, I remember having dinner with all of you in your home in Virginia one night. Yes. Uh, and that's the, that's the time I got to see these people in action with the child we call Jonathan, and all these other children I had been introduced to by letter only. And it, oh, my land, it was a, an eye-opening thing. I had assumed them to be a family of chaos, because it sure sounded like that. And most families who have a child like Jonathan are in chaos. And yet, they sat down to an organized, structured meal with expectations, but room for humor. Um, No one was disabled at the table from speaking their mind, including the parents. And yet, it was very clear that the children knew not only that there were limits, but kind of what they were.
1: I love that because, you know, in a situation like that, you know, before we meet somebody, whether we've talked to them by phone or correspondence like you guys or whatever, you know, we have this image then of what this is going to look like, what this is going to be like. And and, um, so it's really interesting to hear, Michael, kind of what you were expecting and then what you saw. And how about you, Lori, that initial face-to-face meeting with this person you've been corresponding with?
3: Well, quite amazing to to get to the point where we could meet. And we first met one time in Illinois before Michael came to Virginia. I went out with a social worker friend uh, to do a speaking engagement, I believe. And we met, and I think um, just... Just to be in the presence of of this giant who doesn't see himself as such was was amazing. Um, But then to have him to our home, and I'll never forget my husband walking downstairs in his white bathrobe, and Michael just laughing about his perception of this man previous to this, (laughs) and actually getting to meet my husband, who's just a very unassuming, wonderful man who takes life as it comes and learns to roll with it.
2: Who also has some Irish in him, I believe.
3: <laughs> this is mostly Welsh. And oh, is it? Oh. German and Welsh. He's got he's got some, uh, there's a, a tad bit of a stubborn streak, but uh, it's easily overcome when necessary. <laughs> when necessary. Well, be-
2: yeah, as well.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: before we wrap this, um, I want to ask you guys, you know, what, so, you know, obviously this is several years later this came out, what was your vision for the book what are you hoping it continues to provide for folks and how would you like to see people maybe using the book
0: Well,
2: i'll I'll say that we we wrote for several years i don't remember how long three or four maybe and then it sort of dawned on us i think at at about the same moment to ask each other the question hey We've got a huge stack of paper here, because I always printed off her letters and my responses. Is there some good stuff in there? Would anyone else ever want to read about this? Mm. And that was the first moment when we actually considered whether we had inadvertently created something. And it didn't occur to us yet that we might actually publish it as a book. Yes. But but we were getting there pretty fast.
3: And for me, I think I was so blown away by the wealth of support and information, and um, just understanding that I received from the letters from Michael that I felt rather guilty about just having them to myself. You know, my my family was able to gain from this, but would there be others who could gain from from these? these letters yes it felt like it's the treasure that should be shared
1: well I couldn't agree with you more wholeheartedly and I can tell you I remember when it first came out and you wisely because of how hard it can sometimes be for parents to read books uh, also had it on um, CD and I remember you know uh, giving it to people at Chaddock and staff at Chaddock and them telling me well i was driving home listening to it and then i was so enthralled i just kept driving around the block and around the block block (laughs) because i didn't want to stop listening and i didn't want to go into the house with all the chaos where i wouldn't be able to listen so i just kept driving and kept driving and it, it just really pulled people in and and was so enthralling for people to hear this story so um i'm i'm happy for us to be talking about it and um, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, did you add like a little question guide or study guide or something later on to it, Lori? Am I imagining that?
3: No, that is accurate. Okay,
1: so we have the book, we have the Jonathan letters, which mm-hmm. um, can be purchased on Chadwick's website as part of our the, the Michael Trout library that we have. And then um, what, what was your idea of the study guide and what should we tell folks about that?
3: Well, and that was really just a very simple guide to go through the chapters and to work with parents. It was meant as kind of a, maybe a parent support group guide for adoptive, foster adoptive parents working with children who might be challenging.
1: Great. So so using this sort of like, uh, almost like a... um, book discussion group for foster and adoptive parents where they could go through this think about the concepts how to apply them etc
3: exactly
2: i think we had a fantasy that little child welfare offices county offices all over america would adopt the book and um pull together parents and start providing a service that is almost always missing for parents yes peer-to-peer support
1: yes Yes. Well, I hope that um, our podcast here um, allows that effort to expand and realize because there are just so many amazing nuggets in this book. It's such a wonderful resource. And I want to thank both of you for taking the time to be with me here again on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchatik.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future episodes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.